Welcome to the Northwestern Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton. Sports, like every other facet of life, continues to evolve. Part of that evolution is welcoming new revenue streams and embracing new technology. Two incredible examples of those are sports betting and cryptocurrency. Our guest today, Jeff Bao, has a deep understanding and incredible path in both. Jeff got his Master's of Science from the Medill School of Journalism in 2006, and for the last 15 years has been involved in the sports industry. Jeff was a ground floor employee at FanDuel, where he ran business development for the company. He then shifted to leading large-scale acquisition markets budgets in executive roles at Flutter Entertainment, William Hill, and Caesars Entertainment. More recently, he returned to his business development roots, starting an agency, GM Consulting, that focuses on securing sports and music partnerships for companies in the cryptocurrency industry. His agency has been involved in negotiating and signing some of the biggest deals in the crypto space, including Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchen, Steph Curry, Trevor Lawrence, Shohei Otani, and league deals with Major League Baseball and League of Legends North America. His agency has been responsible for negotiating over $500 million in partnerships in the crypto space in just the last year. Jeff has great insight into the business development and marketing aspects of sports sponsorship, and we hope you all enjoy Adam's interview with Jeff Bauer. Welcome to the Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Grossman. With us today is Jeff Bao. Jeff has a very interesting background that we'll go through in more detail. Um, Jeff, welcome to the program. Great to be here. Thank you, Adam. So I mentioned interesting background. I think that's our first question, which is our typical first question for our guests, uh, is can you walk us through your professional experience today to to talk about how you got uh, into the roles that you're in now? Uh, sure. Yeah, it, it, it is a it is a fairly uh, interesting background. Um, so everybody's aware, uh, I went to Northwestern for uh, grad school. I was at the Medill um, School of Journalism, uh, where I got my where I got my uh, master's. Uh, really enjoyed my my time there, and uh, you know, just sort of an incredible experience. Uh, I really wanted to be an international journalist. So while I was at Medill, um, I did, uh, I worked in Chicago, Washington, DC, and then also Cape Town, uh, South Africa. And um, one of the things that happened sort of as I was, as I was getting out of journalism school um, was that that was when, you know, the journalism industry was starting to go through a lot of upheaval, um, a lot of uh, foreign uh, uh, um, you know, junkets uh, were were starting to you know uh, shut down, or sorry, foreign offices were starting to shut down, um, and so it, it became a little bit of a question mark about you know what I was going to be what I was going to be doing, and uh, I was starting to apply to jobs, and I, I still remember this is very uh, very funny. My my mother actually told me she said you know one thing that would be good while you're applying to jobs is for you to to keep writing. And she actually suggested that I, I start a sports blog. And uh, I, I never really planned or, or wanted to be um, a, a sports journalist. I, I specifically, again, like I wanted to be in, you know, some far flung place reporting from, you know, the Congo or, you know, Western Africa or something like that. Um, and uh, so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do this, even though it wasn't exactly 
you know, again, as I said, it, it wasn't what I had kind of envisioned myself doing. But I, I started the uh, uh, I started the blog. This was, you know, back when blogs were, you know, an actual an actual thing. <laughs> it was kind of new and amazing, you know, at that time period. Um, and so I started a very kind of sarcastic uh, blog that would occasionally delve into, you know, analysis, and other times would just be, you know, kind of completely off the wall, um, sort of like. Uh, you know, pre-zombie Deadspin, like the original Deadspin or, or With Leather or The Big Lead in their early days. Um, and it actually became pretty popular um, fairly rapidly. Uh, probably my highlight post was actually predicting uh, the Warriors team when they were the eighth seed beating the Dallas Mavericks in the first round, um, you know, along with a bunch of very, like a lot of other hilarious posts, like when when uh, uh, Kevin Durant could bench press more than 150 pounds and, you know, writing about here, are all these athletes and entertainers, you know, that could, that could lift more that, um, uh, you know, got a lot of, uh, got a lot of links and, and, and a lot of coverage. And, and well, and so that was a ton of fun. Uh, and then I got contacted by a startup in, in San Francisco who at the time was sort of competing with like Bleacher Report and SB Nation in their earliest days. Um, where they needed, uh, they wanted to get content on on site, and uh, they needed uh, an editor and you know somebody to, to to kind of do that. And um, so it was an opportunity to actually start getting paid for what I was doing. Uh, so I, I count myself uh, as being very very lucky. I was one of the few people ever uh, to actually make a, a, a semi livable wage for, from blogging along with guys like Will Leach, who did Deadspin and Matt Ufford, who did, um, with leather and Jason McIntyre, excuse me, at, um, you know, at the big lead. So, uh, the, the company was, a it's now defunct, but it was a company called fan IQ that was looking to do a whole combination of things in the, you know, in the, in, in the sports space. And so, um, I was there for a few years and then I was, I was very fortunate uh, to see at the tail end of my experience there, they were actually starting to look at daily fantasy sports um, and even tried to uh, do their own version of it, which I which I saw was actually really hard um, to do. And I remember doing research while I was there on the other daily fantasy platforms that were out there. And this would have been in, boy, this would have been in like late 2009, uh, early 2010. And what was fascinating to me was the only company whose product who I saw who actually made any sense was was uh, was was FanDuel's. And I remember the first time I uh, I put five dollars in, I played a guy named Mojo Five. I don't even remember if I won or not. It was a five dollar um, it was five dollar contest, and this was back when FanDuel. I don't think a lot of people know this. The the reason why FanDuel was called FanDuel was that it was actually the site originally was only head to head matchups. And so that's where the name came from. Uh, tournaments and other things like that were were added later. Um, and uh, and so I, I remember playing it, and it was just highly intuitive. And I remember one of my first thoughts was, "This is amazing." And then my second thought was, "How on earth is this legal?" Um, but it it you know I kind of read everything and saw what was kind of being proposed. And so uh, I I sort of unceremoniously was let go at. At Fan IQ, is the company was you know basically kind of imploding in, uh, you know, on itself. And uh, I still remember this. I I was I was out having beers with some of the other guys that have been let go. It was eleven o'clock in the morning in San Francisco, 
and we were just drinking and like none of us had any idea like what we were going to do next and like other things. And um, uh, one of the guys said, you know, we had talked to FanDuel before. Uh, Jeff, I think it'd be really an awesome place. You know, I, I can connect you to their to their CEO, uh, Nigel Eccles. So uh, he he you know, I was already I already thought FanDuel was an awesome idea. was really excited by it. So um, I got an intro uh, to Nigel who at the time was over in, in Edinburgh, Scotland. So he was only occasionally over in the U S but um, a few months later uh, he was, he was in town in San Francisco. And, and uh, I remember we went to lunch together at mama's, which is a famous brunch spot in San Francisco. And uh, it was really great, you know, talked a, a lot about like what he was doing. And uh, uh, you know, fortunately I was able to kind of wedge my way in the door and shortly thereafter uh, they hired me as a consultant. My my pitch to them, just so you know, people are aware, like you know, what I was pitching them was, look, I have a, I know a lot of people uh, in the, uh, uh, you know, kind of in the the the, the sports space, uh, particularly on you know on the publisher side. Uh, if you guys need help in terms of kind of getting Fandle's name out there, uh, I can really you know help plug you guys into places like. Sports Illustrated or, uh, you know, Yard Barker at the time or Bleacher Reporter, you know, all, all sorts of things to kind of start getting you out there. Um, and that and that was pretty intriguing to them because they uh, they had no U.S. employees. Uh, they did not know the market, you know, super well at, at, at that time. And they were trying to figure out ways to kind of get the brand out there and actually, I mean, you know, really do, um, you know, get some acquisition and. So they uh, they hired me, and you know, fortunately, within about a month, they saw the ability that I had, and then uh, I got you know really, even though because I was in the United States, it was technically a consulting job at that point, but it was it was a full time job as the company was starting to um, establish itself. And then what was uh, what was really interesting about it was I went through this this kind of so I mean everybody's aware like I didn't go to to business school a lot of people when they hear my background they think I went to business school um, and people find it really interesting that I went to to journalism school um, and you know what I think was very fascinating about that was it taught me how to work on really tight deadlines and so um, you know being at a startup. I was, and having done what I had done at, at Medill, I was used to these like, you know, hyper intense time pressure. This has to be done now, um, you know, or doing multiple things. Um, I thought journalism actually prepared me super well um, for it. So uh, during my first two years at FanDuel, I was really kind of uh, uh, helping them begin to craft their initial way to uh, really help, you know, acquire users and get out there. So I remember um, in the earliest days, FanDuel actually had a business that was B2B that was that was working with uh, newspapers. So I spent a lot of time at these, you know, newspapers at the Orange County Register. And um, I remember going out to, uh, uh, God, out to certain areas in, in Pennsylvania. I think it was like, um, uh, you know, just... There's some locations out, you know, out of the norm. You're not, you're not in big cities or, although I was in Philly as well too, um, but just different locations to to get newspapers on board with this. And then what I was starting to see was was that because I had already been in this in journalism is there's only so many newspapers you can go where you can potentially do a, a B2B deal with. And, and, you know, we're not making a ton of money off of this. So I started to um, 
come up with the idea of, okay, well, how do we go out and how do we acquire more people? And uh, I have long talked about this because I think it's an interesting concept is when you have a new product or something that uh, you know, you're, you're getting out for the first time, you usually have that initial base of people who are, you know, your, your, um, you know, people talk about it, that first initial cohort, which is, you know, tends to be, uh, 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 you know, big time adopters, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're very vocal about their support for the product, et cetera. And then you kind of look to expand from there. So I always thought of things as a, uh, I use the term inverted pyramid, where you start at the base, which is sort of like a, it's, it's a, it's a more limited group, a smaller group of people. It's again, it's that first cohort. But if, and, and I looked at it as look with daily fantasy, which is a completely new concept to people. If we can't get in the hardest core fantasy players in to adopt daily fantasy, then there's almost no point in like we're done as a company. But if we can, if we can get those first guys on board, then we can start to go up to the next level, you know, which is like, uh, you know, not the hardest of hardcore fantasy guys, but, you know, the next, the, the general fantasy player. And then from beyond there, it's like sports fans. So the, the initial concept was let's sort of build out, um, which at the time would have been, I mean, now you think of it as an affiliate program, but at the time were really big deals for us where we would go out to sites like um, fantasy pros and football guys, which were obviously much smaller back then than they are now, you know, over 10 years um, later. And so we started to do deals with, uh, you know, these sites and they were really good acquisition channels for us. And then it just kind of started to expand from there. And then as we got more employees in and, and, and things like that, you know, we started expanding into, okay, we're going to look at radio and then radio was able to scale, you know, and then you start just kind of in increasing uh, the, the audience that you, that you go after. But I've always been sort of a strong proponent that if you, if you have a new product in the startup world, um, you have to get through those first couple of, of um, uh, you know, tiers of the pyramid, the inverted pyramid in my mind, in order for your product to ultimately be successful. Um, because again, if you put a product out there and there's literally nobody that is, uh, is engaged with it or doing anything with it, then it's time to, it, it is literally time to start over, um, you know, at that point. And then the goal from, from that from that point on is how many how ultimately large can you grow that pyramid you know so again for us it was it was hardest core fantasy players then there was kind of the level above that then it was you know uh, hardcore sports fans then it was more general sports fans etc until you basically run out of you know real estate um at, at, you know at, at uh uh you know at that time so we as we started to do that i got more involved on the business development end of things, which was going out and helping to get these deals done that became, uh, you know, pretty transformative for the business. So we did early deals with uh, uh, football guys. We did early deals with fantasy pros. We did an early deal with Barstool before Barstool was, you know, anywhere remotely as big as they are now, um, which was an incredible acquisition engine for us. So all, all, all of those guys we kept doing that. And then we ultimately moved up to some of the, you know, bigger names like, uh, uh, NBC Sports and CBS uh, for doing things with Roto World and and CBS's you know whole fantasy platform um, and my role changed over time. So you know originally I came in and I was uh, you know I was fairly junior 
But then uh, what was very interesting at FanDuel was that as the company grew, they decided to open up an office in New York. Uh, and it's important for everybody to know that I was in California at the time. And, and the guy who led business development at the time was in, you know, he was in California, uh, you know, married uh, two kids. Um, and it just didn't make sense for him to move to, uh, you know, um, New York. So there was an opportunity for uh, where, where Nigel, the, the CEO, came to me. And I was actually surprised by this. I, I thought they would you know, hire somebody else. But Nigel said, uh, you know, I, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to have you running business development. Like I'll, I'll be, I'll be with you, you know, at your side uh, to, um, you know, cause I know you're obviously still junior at this, but you know, I'll, like I'll, I'll, I'll be there, um, you know, to help do a lot of these things with you. And so it was a really unique opportunity to move to New York um, be working directly, you know, with my CEO, who I am still really good friends with. Um, you know, I've, I've actually even invested in um, a company that, you know, he's just uh, another company he started. So, you know, we, we've, we've really maintained a really good, you know, 10 plus year bond. And, and uh, I feel I owe a lot to him. I owe a lot to Nigel um, for him giving me, you know, the ability to go to New York and, and really grow into that, you know, that role. So, I mean, if, you know, if I'm, you know, talking to, um, you know, to a lot of you out there. I mean, it's, it's, I think one thing is there are times in your life where there are opportunities that will be presented to you that um, you, you really need to take advantage of them. And this was one of those opportunities. I was, you know, young, I was single, I could move to New York, even though I had never lived in New York, I'd never even been to New York. Um, I accepted it, I went, and, uh, you know, I went on a pretty wild ride with, with FanDuel. I think everybody's fairly familiar, you know, now that it's this betting giant that, you know, the brand here in the United States, even though it's owned by Flutter Entertainment. But it was, you know, it was a wild ride. We had our ups and our downs. Um, you know, at peaks, it was like, you know, we were the hottest thing on earth for 15 minutes. Um, and then, uh, you know, the company had kind of an, uh, you know, an epic uh, come to Jesus moment where, you know, we'd been doing a lot of stuff that was fairly questionable, um, you know, kind of a gray area from a legal perspective. We got into uh, you know, a lot of heat in New York. Um, you know, the business was just in a, uh, you know, it was a very difficult spot that we wound up, ultimately the business wound up getting out, uh, you know, of and, and has since been successful because of the fall of PASPA. But, um, you know, it taught me a lot about, uh, you know, things like particularly with rocket ship startups that you can, you can be a millionaire one day and then the next day it's all gone, uh, you know, and, you know, in the blink of an eye. Um, so it was just a really fascinating uh, learning experience and, and, and um, really molded me professionally because it also gave me a sense of like, uh, you know, how to approach work, life balance, things like that um, too. I, I was, you know, and and, and I, I loved my time there, but it, it it made me realize that sometimes being all in on a company is sometimes not the best thing for you professionally as you, you know, um, throughout your, you know, your career. Um, so, you know, after, uh, after FanDuel, uh, which, you know, we were, we were, I mean, it wasn't me personally, although I did work on some of these deals. Um, you know, to help us in states to to basically get uh, approved and and you know uh, uh, officially regulated. 
uh, I moved on from there and actually moved over to Patty Power Betfair, uh, which was which was quite interesting because I joined Patty Power Betfair, which is now Flutter and which also now owns FanDuel. Um, I joined them at a time where they were looking to get into the U.S. business uh, of daily fantasy because they were preparing for a day when sports betting was going to become legal. So uh, I joined them and uh, actually was uh, was leading marketing. I, I actually switched over. I started leading uh, marketing for, for a company that they bought called Draft, which was also out of New York. Um, and it was a really interesting experience, uh, mainly because... Uh, and I think this is another important thing for everyone is I, at that point, I had spent about six years of my life doing business development. And given where the daily fantasy industry was uh, right before things happened with draft, I was a little bit nervous about what my career future would be because I had done business development, but I had done it for this very specific vertical that there were only two competitors in FanDuel and DraftKings. Like if this industry goes up in smoke, what's going to, you know, I, my, my skill set may only apply to certain elements of the sports industry. And it was, it was a little bit of a frightening time on my end. So when I was reached out to by Patty Power Betfair and the guys at Draft, and they said, you know, look, we're not concerned about some of this stuff. We're going to commit money to it. You know, we're confident in the, in the regulatory framework. We need somebody who can actually lead marketing for us. Um, I thought it was a really unique opportunity because I hadn't done marketing before. And I felt that somebody that would have business development experience and then also uh, marketing experience would ultimately, you know, help me be in a better position professionally over the course of my, you know, overall professional career. So I decided to do it. And it was very weird. I was out, you know, I was out of like DFS for like three seconds and then immediately came back in. Um, and, you know, fortunately I had a really good group of guys that were there, um, you know, actually two co-CEOs who were running the business who were, you know, great at letting me, uh, you know, kind of use my skill set and then beginning to apply it, you know, to marketing. Um, and draft was really interesting uh, because it, it, we sent a ton of data back to the Patty Power Betfair team to, for them to actually start to see like how many daily fantasy players will ultimately convert to sports betting. And, you know, it was a super high number and everything, all the data that we were pulling for them there while, um, uh, you know, beginning to get customers in for, for draft, which was originally Patty Power Betfair's idea was, okay, we'll, we'll do a daily fantasy competitor to FanDuel and DraftKings. We know that we won't, surpass them in total users, but we want to get this, this footprint in the U S for, for sports betting for PASPA when it gets repealed. And then all of a sudden PASPA got repealed and they had all this data and it was largely due to the work that we did at draft that then when with FanDuel kind of being uh, pretty cheap at the time, they jumped at the opportunity to buy, to buy FanDuel. So it was kind of funny that in an odd way, I actually played a fairly sizable role actually in the, in the fact that my old company uh, wound up getting acquired uh, by Patty Power Betfair, which again has since become um, Flutter. And, and what's fascinating to me, this is outside of my work, in, in retrospect, uh, at the time, many people were sort of curious about that move by, by, um, by Patty Power Betfair. Uh, you know, in, I always thought it was a pretty smart move. Uh, and I don't think there's any question now that, that that people would obviously say that it was actually a very smart acquisition. 
due to the cost of FanDuel at the time. And then additionally, uh, you know, it, it, it was a super well-known brand. Now, some people thought the brand was tarnished from what had happened, but as you kind of learn over time, I mean, we, we, we've learned from plenty of brands over the years and, and centuries that, you know, some brands that did some pretty horrible things, way less bad than, or excuse me, way worse than anything, you know, uh, you know, FanDuel did that, that have been able to recover. So, you know, the fact that, that FanDuel made some people angry because they ran a lot of ads, like, you know, I, it, 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 as we've seen, it was pretty easy for that, that brand to be able to recover over time. And it's proven to be really, really valuable, you know, to Patty Power, uh, Betfair in the United States, because although that's, that was a big brand, particularly Patty Power internationally, um, you know, that wasn't known at all here in the United States. So it had an immediate impact and they had all these customers. So it wound up being, I think, you know, overall, this is outside of, you know, my scope, but just, I, I, I always thought that was, I always thought it made sense. And, and, you know, it's wound up um, being that. So draft and Fandle wind up getting integrated. You know, there was a really cool uh, thing that like best ball format, the draft really, um, they weren't, they didn't necessarily come up with it, but it was, they were the first big site to really push it, which has then become a very popular, you know, fantasy game. So it's kind of fun in terms of like what was accomplished, you know, via those, um, you know, uh, you know, being involved with those, with those two companies. But the big thing obviously was like, look, once Paspo wound up getting uh, repealed, I, I still remember this was, this was really interesting was that, um, when the Supreme Court said they were going to hear uh, PASPA, which again, just so everybody's aware, that was the um, the law that basically made um, sports betting legal in the United States. Uh, I remember we we were all sitting around in the draft office and we were like, "Oh my God!" We're like, "This this would be this would be crazy! Like this will change all of our lives!" You know, like if this happens. And so I wouldn't say people were on pins and needles, but I remember, you know, you don't know when the Supreme court. So we kept being like, okay, well, it's going to get announced. You know, this it's usually like Fridays or I can't remember Thursdays or Fridays. So we kept being like, I wonder when this is going to come out. And I still remember the day that it did. It was like, it hit us all. And we didn't, it was like, Oh my God, like, this is like, this is literally going to change everything. And I mean, anybody who's paid any attention to, you know, if you're in a state that has legal sports betting anytime in the last three years, you know exactly what this has resulted in. It's resulted in billions of dollars worth of TV ads and, you know, companies like FanDuel and DraftKings and MGM and Caesars and William Hill and all these companies just going, you know, crazy. And uh, yeah, it was just so at the time um, I was like, okay. I need to take advantage of this. And so I started looking around and talking with people because I knew that I had a skill set, which at the time when that happened with, with, um, uh, you know, work visas, uh, being, you know, difficult to get things like that. A lot of, a lot of the uh, European companies couldn't easily come in. Um, they were having to hire people within the United States and there was such a limited group of people other than a handful of people in New Jersey, which had an online casino since 2013, who could actually, and actually knew this space. And so daily fantasy people suddenly became very valuable in that sector. Um, and what was interesting about that was um, I ultimately did get a job uh, that was, uh, you know, I had been talking with MGM and some other people. I wound up getting a job uh, at Parks Casino 
um, outside of Philadelphia, which I didn't even know about at the time, but is one of the largest casinos on on the East Coast. Um, really, the only other one larger is Borgata out of out of New Jersey, and um, it was a really kind of unique opportunity to go help them launch retail sports betting, online sports betting, and online casino. And while it wasn't necessarily one of the bigger, um, you know, uh, uh, say companies out there, this was the early days, so it wasn't really clear, you know, exactly how all these things were going to, you know, work, who was going to get licenses, where stuff was going to happen. Um, but it was, it was, it, you know, it was going to give me the ability to do, uh, to continue my marketing career and do this in, um, you know, the first other major state outside of New Jersey. And, you know, and I mean, uh, uh, Pennsylvania is actually 42% bigger than New Jersey. So it's a bigger state. So I decided to do that. And we, we wound up moving to the, to the Philadelphia area. And um, it was just a really interesting, you know, experience. Um, it was very different from what I had previously uh, done, you know, uh, suit and tie type of setup, non-startup, you know, very, uh, um, uh, you know, very, very, very classic, uh, you know, you know, type of setup. And it was also very interesting in that it was a place where, you know, people were, even with the opportunity in Pennsylvania, were still somewhat skeptical of, you know, an online, an online business. Um, but the good news is we were able to do, you know, quite well kind of early on. Um, uh, you know, I remember our first year, you know, being very minimally in the red, you know, which is good to be able to start to get things off the ground, had to pitch things like, you know, budgets, what I'm going to spend, et cetera. Um, all things that sometimes, I mean, a lot of startup companies obviously do that too. Um, but it, it was a much more, you know, corporate environment. Um, I, I, I tend to think that, you know, oftentimes at startups, you, you often go through those exercises and then they get thrown out the window, you know, <laughs> given, given things that are going on, either things are taking off and, you know, who cares about this? We'll get money. We'll raise more money. You know, this was a, you know, a real, um, uh, you know, established business and, and whatnot. So it was very interesting to kind of be in that, um, uh, environment. And then when the, uh, when the pandemic hit, uh, I actually moved over to William Hill, um, where I just kind of continued to do the same thing, which was again, all, um, all, you know, kind of direct marketing and, and, um, uh, continued to, to do that, but just at a much larger scale. So, you know, my budget was increasing by four or five X when I was at uh, William Hill and then, as some people may know, William Hill was ultimately uh, bought out in the U.S. by by Caesars, and so um, you know Caesars was largely acquiring William Hill U.S. because uh, Caesars didn't have an on you know a big online business, so they were really grabbing the U.S. portion of William Hill to you know to help them grow that. And then the budgets were increasing even more. So you know, it, 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 I was you know ultimately. Um, you know, kind of from what I was doing at, at Parks originally, I was doing 10x that. You know, when I was at when I was at Caesars, and so what was what was really interesting was how I had I had then shifted over time in my um, in my career from having done, uh, you know, I had done six years of business development, and then I had done five years really of kind of um, you know direct response digital marketing, which is very much what DFS and uh, daily fantasy sports and sports betting are, you know, all about. I mean, yes, you will see some big splashy ads and things like that, but at the end of the day, those businesses are very focused on cost per acquisition, 
lifetime value, LTV, um, you know, cohort sets, how valuable is this group? Do we spend more here? You know, is it Facebook might have a hundred dollar CPA, but if, you know, users are only worth $60, uh, that's not a good channel for us to spend on. Um, you know, whereas if our, our mobile ad networks, it's a thousand dollars to get people, but they're each worth 2000, like we should be spending more there. So a lot of it is these, you know, kind of dial turning, figuring out, um, you know, where to spend, how to do it, a lot of channels. Um, the funny thing is, though, is that as, as I was uh, continuing on that, and I, I will be very uh, honest with people here, is that um, after a while, I, I really didn't like that um, that much. It was sort of, there's there's a, a, an interesting, I think it was very useful for my career because now I can go out and tell people I have the ability to do both these things. I can do business development. I can also do, you know, uh, I have a lot of great marketing experience. Um, but I just found after a while that it was it was a good skill set to have, but it wasn't necessarily exactly what I wanted to um, you know, be doing. And that's when a very interesting opportunity fell into my lap, uh, which was a little bit more than a year ago, while I was actually still um, uh, at, at, uh, at, at William Hill, uh, we, myself and a partner of mine, um, got approached by uh, uh, FTX, which is now pretty well known in the crypto industry, uh, about helping them begin to explore doing partnerships to uh, basically get their brand out there. Um, you know, they, they were fairly well known in the crypto community and, and somewhat internationally, but they were not known at all in the United States. And they really wanted to, um, you know, to change that. Uh, and my partner and I were able to pitch um, basically as like an independent agency telling them that I think the thing that, that we, we really brought to the table was that through um uh, my partner and I, who my partner also, who's a who's a who's a um, uh, who's a lawyer, we both spent all our basically spent our entire careers pretty much in 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 sports. So we've gotten to know a lot of people, and this kind of fitted well with what they were looking to do. Um, we were lucky that they, uh, you know, um, took us on as a as, as kind of a unique agency. With our proposition being that we we didn't have anybody to push. Uh, you know, um, to them. We didn't have any client base. So like you can utilize us to go out and, you know, get any type of athlete or any type of deal, um, you know, that you, you know, that you want. And so we started, uh, you know, working with them and uh, we helped them with a number of their, their really uh, uh, key deals. Um, the first one was uh, Trevor Lawrence. Um, then we did the deal with, um, for them with, with Tom Brady and Giselle uh, Bunchen. Oh, but I, you know, I obviously want to say to the, you know, the FTX team, we were, we were, you know, uh, you know, support, um, you know, for them, their team was, uh, you know, obviously working on this as, you know, as well too, um, you know, with us, but then we did the major league baseball deal after that. And then we've done a whole um, number of other really sort of big deals for them. Uh, Riot games, uh, North American league championship series, Shohei Otani. Um, there's still other ones that are, uh, you know, going to be coming out uh, in the near future as well, too. Um, and then there were a bunch of uh, um, kind of smaller deals, but we're, you know, still relatively uh, big ones like, you know, the Golden State Warriors, uh, the Washington Wizards um, and Capitals. And I should have mentioned this earlier. This was not a small deal, but, you know, it was a big one, which was um, also Steph Curry uh, as, as well. So 
that was actually really fascinating um, to me to be able to have that opportunity with FTX because it brought back, um, and, and I was, again, I was a good fit for it because I actually did have the business development um, you know, background. So even though I hadn't done that in a number of years, it was something that was, you know, it was kind of like I could, I could, you know, I could pull it out of the, you know, I could pull it out of the safe. It was, it was a, a skill set um, I still had along with my, um, uh, you know, along with my partner that, that, that we could do that. And ultimately um, that became, you know, my, my job. Um, basically the work was so, uh, you know, we've had so much work with FTX that, um, you know, I decided to leave uh, Caesars and have been concentrating solely on the, you know, on the crypto space, uh, you know, at, at, at this point in time now, just because um, a little bit like it's fascinating. A lot of people say like, well, why did you decide to leave sports betting? It, I, and, and, and honestly, I always thought I would spend the rest of my, my entire professional year, uh, career, excuse me. I thought I would spend the rest of my entire professional career in, in sports betting or in the gaming industry. Right. Because like I've been in it for 11 plus years. Um, but what was fascinating to me about crypto was just seeing uh, you know, you, you look at sports betting and people say, well, you know, this is going to be a $50 billion industry. It's like, great. Well, crypto is changing finance. It could be trillions of dollars. And, and, and it's just, you know, there, it's been a fascinating time and I'm, I'm very lucky and I'm not, you know, I think this is an important thing to, to let people know, like, um, this again, gets back to opportunity. Uh, we had an opportunity that we were able to perform really well in, but it did fall out of left field, you know, for us. We were very lucky to get that, um, you know, intro and and, and call into, um, you know, FTX. So it, it, it's, it can, it, I, I think the important thing is, is like, when those opportunities come, don't be afraid to, you know, again, to, to take them. Um, I was in a situation where, look, I, I did do, I was doing actually, you know, two jobs at the same time, which I, you know, I was allowed to do that. You know, that's fine. It was, it's not like I had some crypto carve out or something, you know, within, within my, um, you know, within my Caesars contract. Uh, but it was an ability for me to kind of dip my toes into this, into this realm. And, you know, it was essentially my, my, my side hustle, which actually wound up becoming my full-time job. So, I, I think it's it's I think that's one of those fascinating things about, you know, what can kind of happen, um, which is, again, I expected to spend the rest of my career in, in, in sports betting and gaming. And then this opportunity came and presented itself and it completely changed my whole, um, you know, trajectory in terms of what I am going to do over the over the over the course of my life. So. Um, you know, like as far as I'm concerned, if anybody asks me now, it's like I'm, I don't ever want to get out of crypto, you know, um, because it's just I, I just find it an absolutely fascinating industry that I just wouldn't have known about otherwise if I hadn't gotten that call, you know, from FTX. So I tend to use the analogy when I when I talk to people and they ask me about, you know, what do I do? Like, I always say it's always it always makes sense to pick up the phone, you know, and and and, and to hear things. And, and this actually is important because it hopefully um, it ties back to my experience at FanDuel, which is that, again, when I said, when I was at FanDuel, I love, I love the company. I love the people there, but I was, um, you know, to use a, a you know, popular phrase, you know, it was ride or die there. Um, 
And it was, it was, it was too far, you know, on that spectrum. And when I left, I found out over time that it is very important. I don't want to say a mercenary, but I do feel it's important throughout your career that you understand that, you know, your job, it's not family. It's not, you know, you may have friends or things like that, but you know, there are, um, I had a mentor when I was at FanDuel who said, look, you know, the, the fun times don't last forever. And it's, it's really true. And that's not to scare anybody or things like that, but it, it just, it lets you know that um, it, it makes sense for you to think about your career as in, you know, how will I progress? How will I, uh, you know, um, uh, continue to succeed? And, and, you know, how can I get to that next step? And a smart way to do that, which is not meaning you're a bad employee or other things is like, go ahead and take those phone calls. Cause sometimes you'll wind up like if I hadn't taken that phone call about FTX, my life would be completely different. I would still be doing what I was doing, you know, at Caesars, which if I was being honest, you know, at this point in time, I, I wasn't necessarily thrilled with that. I wasn't necessarily enjoying it. And so I was, it was becoming harder and harder for me, even though I always said, look, it's going to make sense for me to be in this industry for the next 30 years, because, you know, I'll have solid jobs. I can make good money. It'll be good for my family. Um, but then this opportunity came and, and it, and it, and it has completely transformed, you know, my life. And then the reason why is, is because I was willing to, you know, pick up a phone call and, you know, talk to people and start to explore, you know, certain things. And if nothing had happened there, whatever, like I said, I would have just been back, you know, uh, you know, at Caesars and that's, you know, and that's fine. But I, I, I really implore people now, particularly young people. It's like, it's, it's, um, you, you, you are doing yourself a disservice if you don't, you know, take those calls, if you don't think about those things, um, because they can be very transformative. You never know exactly, you know, when an opportunity is going to come, um, and it's good to be able to to hear it and, and visualize it and think about it and at least cons- consider it because the worst thing you can do is never pick up that phone call and then it, you know that that transformational thing which has kind of happened for me it doesn't happen to you so yeah that was, that's, there, that was a lot there and I'm glad we were able to run through everything and I think we're gonna have to have you back because I think we're gonna run out of time to cover all the questions that we wanted to cover so we'll definitely have you back but I think one thing that we wanted to one thing that really emerged from what you were describing is there's a bunch of really interesting topics and stuff we would want to talk about it um, uh, is your ability to build relationships. You mentioned this before, but you know, you obviously came from a non-traditional background in order to be successful. You had to spend and continue to spend a lot of time building relationships, you know, whether it's cultivating relationships with senior executives at companies, whether it's FanDuel or FTX, you know, what have you found? And you mentioned, you know, obviously taking phone calls as being very important, but what have you found to be, whether it's, you know, starting your career and now starting your own business, what have you found to be successful in terms of building relationships, building a network? Because that is something that students who are entering the industry, that's something that's really partic- uh, critical, particularly in sports, is how do you create and build networks? How do you cultivate mentors? And how do you cultivate relationships in ways that can be both beneficial for your career, but also beneficial for the people you're trying to build relationships with? Yeah, it's a great question. And I mean, I think that's one of the tough things in, in the sports industry um, is that, uh, it, it is, uh, I want to use the right, you know, term here, but like it, it is a, uh, um, it's a small 
group, right? So it, it, it's the kind of thing where um, you, you need to develop relationships. You need to be, um, you know, flexible sometimes in terms of moving in order to, uh, you know, on a career path. Um, what I would say is that, and, and I've heard this from, from a lot of people, you know, in the sports industry, it's like, it's, it's very difficult to start out, right? I'm in these very low level positions at these, you know, at these places, and then I have to move and, uh, you know, and whatnot. And I mean, that, that, that's particularly for people who kind of start on the, um, if you start on the traditional side, which is sort of like, you know, the team side of things or the league side, um, of things you're, you're just just to be honest, like you're going to have to, um, you know, work your way up the ladder. Um, there is no way around that. There, 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 um, so that's on the more traditional side where you begin to like, okay, fine. I go work at, you know, I go work for the Orlando magic and I meet people there. And then, you know, I get senior people who appreciate my work. They, they understand because they were in the same position that after a couple of years, you're going to want to move on. And the next, you know, place where there's an opportunity is with the Spurs, right? So I'm moving to San Antonio, things like that, where you can kind of, um, you know, and it kind of works similarly on the, on the league side. Um, that was not my route, but I've, I, I've seen and known enough people to understand that, that, you know, that construct, which is like, that just is what it is. Like you have to accept that if you go into that end of the industry. The flip side of it is, is that you can go into, you know, or find your, your, your spot um, with like a startup or a company that works in the sports space that gives you sort of um, an, an, an equivalent, an equivalency, um, but you usually can wind up moving up faster, you know, at, at, at those places. So those are, you know, things like you could potentially start your career at a place like, you know, um, there, there are a lot of companies that you wouldn't necessarily immediately think of who actually do have uh, activation groups or, you know, who do a lot of business development on the sports side. So, you know, you can think of brands like Bud, Budweiser, right? Like Budweiser spends a ton of money. American Express, you know, is another one. I knew a lot of people who ultimately moved over from FanDuel from companies like those who had a lot of experience managing or doing deals within the sports space. So that then allows you, I have sometimes find, and I, and I personally have thought that that's sometimes a better route because then you begin to develop contacts on the, on the business side within a, in, within like a business that sometimes goes beyond just sports, right? Like Budweiser obviously doesn't just do sports. Um, and you gain contacts there while also gaining contacts within the, the, the sports industry at the same time, you're a little bit more limited if you go in the traditional sense where, you know, you're really just trying to sell to, you know, these, these brands. And so you're, you really just have salespeople and that's it. And those are, those are your contacts. Whereas like, if I'm at, you know, American express, I may be doing activations for all these things, but I'm also in this larger, you know, um, you know, company. And then if you wind up being lucky, like I was, and you were at a startup, then, you know, you're kind of doing this hyper accelerated, uh, you know, type of situation where you can move up very quickly and become a VP or head of, or, you know, or, or, or things like that. It comes obviously with a lot more risk, right? Like FanDuel was a risky company, you know, to, you know, to be at, um, could have failed. And then all of a sudden I would have had two years at some failed startup and I would have been, you know, 20, I mean, I, I mean, at that, at that time, um, yeah, I mean, like I would have been in my early thirties and I have like not very much to show for it. Right. So like, it, it, it's, um, you know, it, it's sort of like, yeah, there's a different path for everybody. 
Um, but what the most important thing I think is, is as you're at any of those specific spots, it's like you want to maintain, you really want to maintain good relationships with people in this business. So, you know, there's some, some people, I, I, I had uh, a colleague once who said, who, who'd been around for a long time doing business development deals. And he said, look, you, you don't ever want to make enemies or stab anybody in the back because you never know when you may need somebody's help 10 years from now. Um, so I tend to think like, look, I'm not a finance person. You hear plenty of stories about, you know, on Wall Street, about backstabbing other things and stuff like that. You cannot do that in the sports industry because you will be uh, persona non grata, um, you know, on that. And, and, and the last thing I would say is that it's really important, I think, in this industry, um, you know, to um, uh, uh, just to be cognizant of the fact that networking will take you a long way. It won't necessarily guarantee, you know, that you ultimately become the CEO of the Philadelphia 76ers or, you know, or whatever, or something along those lines. But like it, 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 it is, it's just, it is important that you maintain a Rolodex, that you keep meeting people, that you have, you know, sometimes conversations that aren't necessarily fruitful in terms of some type of outcome, but that they, you know, that you, you've created this good, good relationship, um, you know, with these people so that you can call them at any time or they will pick up the phone to, to listen from you. Um, because look, every single job that I've ever gotten has come through a connection. Uh, and I'm 10 plus years into my, you know, career. Um, and I think a lot of people, whether they like that or not, some people, uh, like my wife, for example, not a big fan of networking, but I've come to realize in my life that it is, it is, you know, it is, it just is very important. And I think it's important really for any industry, but I think it's particularly important for, um, you know, sports that you're going to find after probably your initial job, um, which may even still come from a recommendation that a lot of your, a, a lot of these are going to come, you know, from people over time, either through a referral or you hear about something through a friend or somebody gives you a call. Um, those are how your opportunities are going to arise, particularly in the sports space. Yeah, I think those are all great points and great points for the students, uh, particularly when listening to the podcast. Um, definitely networking, you know, the, there's obviously the cliche, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Uh, I think that's particularly, you know, sometimes cliches are cliches for a reason because they have a lot of applicability. And this one, I think, really does apply to the sports industry. So, like I said, we're going to have to have you back because there's a lot of things we want to talk about, both in terms of uh, particularly in terms of sports betting, crypto, the impact of sports marketing. But for now, we want to I want to ask one final question, which is, you know, you, you've talked about this a lot, particularly in the context of, you know, you worked at FanDuel, you worked at William, um, William Hill, you've worked at companies in various different stages of their life cycle. Now you've launched your own, you know, launched your own shop combined with the fact that you're an investor in a bunch of different companies. So, you know, one, you know, are there lessons that you've learned that you think are important for people to know? And you've talked about it already, but like just from your own personal experience, from particularly from a personal satisfaction perspective, do you see as one potentially as more satisfaction, you know, um, where you've been able to drive more personal satisfaction? Or what are the lessons that you learned, particularly as you moved 
uh, from a startup to a mature company now back to more of a startup environment? Are there things that you've taken away from those experiences um, as you've gone through your career that you're applying in your career now as you're looking to build uh, a new business, build a new brand, build these connections that you've been talking about? Because again, that is somewhere where a lot of our audiences, right? They're starting from a new beginning and they may have worked at other companies or had interns at other companies or coming from schools like Northwestern. So what do you think you've learned that would be um, particularly given your career? And then how would you apply it to what you're looking at going forward in terms of, you know, kind of lessons learned from that perspective? Well, probably the biggest thing is I like being my own boss. That, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> I can empathize with that. Yeah. yeah if you that. can ever get to that, if you can ever get to that point in your career, I, I would say that is uh, at least for me, that's um, I didn't realize it, but that is, that's kind of like the, the dream I think for a lot of people. And it, um, it, it is, it is pretty awesome. You know, you get to select the work you want to do. You get to, you know, invest the money where you want to invest. You, you, um, you have freedom. And, and, and I think that is, uh, that's a tough thing to achieve, you know? Um, so look that, I mean, I don't think that's particularly helpful, you know, for people immediately. Uh, but what, what I would say is, is like, um, you will reach a point in your career where, you know, if you are successful uh, or, you know, or do the necessary things, networking, et cetera, kind of keep your ear to the ground for opportunities, other things where, where you will feel, um, I think, confident in, in, in your, in your abilities. Um, and it's, and you should listen to that, uh, you know, when you feel like, yeah, I can, I can go out, I can go do this, or I really should apply to this job. I really should do this. I'm, I'm, I'm confident in myself like, you know, uh, go do it. Right. Like that, that, that I think is, is, is the thing that has been, um, most interesting to me, you know, throughout my career. Like I had to look in the mirror too at one point in time and say, Hey, am I going to go off and am I going to go, you know, do this, you know, by myself, you know, fortunately I've, I've, you know, done well enough where it wasn't something where I had to, you know, be like, Oh my God, I'm risking everything to do this. But at the same point in time, it's also having that trust. Like I'm somebody who, you know, parents work their whole life, everything. And they, and, and, you know, my parents are, uh, you know, my dad was a cardiologist who, you know, spent half his career in academia and then another half at, at, at you know, at, at, at one, um, uh, you know, one office. And my mom has been a professor, you know, tenured uh, two different places because um, we had to move at one point when I was young, but, you know, she, the whole career in, in academia, they had very structured, you know, jobs, you know, kind of the traditional, you know, you would think of boomer type jobs. And, and, you know, I, I just come to accept that that, that will, and, and it wasn't me and it has never been me and, and that's okay. So like, you know, learning to kind of like have confidence who you are, you know, how, how you've progressed over the course of your career, acting upon that confidence and what you're doing, I think is probably the most you know, um, important thing. And I mean, the other thing I, I, I would say is, um, you know, the, the, the one other thing is like, look, it's worked out well for me and I am, and you gotta be careful on this, but it's like, you know, calculated risks, I think makes sense, you know, for, for people, um, you know, you only live once. And, and there are times where, again, like I've said, and I've, you know, repeated this multiple times throughout, you know, the, the podcast so far, 
you know, if, if you have these opportunities, you can kind of bet them, they sound good. You're confident, like go, you know, go, go do it. You know, obviously it depends on life circumstances and other things like those have to be weighed into. I'm, you know, not saying go do something, you know, utterly crazy, but tr- try and pay attention to, you know, you know, to, two opportunities. Um, cause when they come up, um, you know, you want to, you want to try and uh, take advantage of them. And, and, and it, throughout my life, I mean, th- that's just been fairly consistent. And I've had people even tell me that, that what, what I've been good at is taking advantage of opportunities when they happen. One example was I did not like the high school I went to and I was thinking of transferring. And then my parents were telling me, well, you know, you don't, you know, you, you don't have to, go to this, you know, the, just the local high school, you can, there are boarding schools on the East coast that if you want to go to, you know, you can, you can get in. And, and I was like, wow, that's kind of crazy. So, you know, you apply and you do things and you wind up getting in and you're like, man, I, I feel like it'd be crazy if I didn't go do this. It's, 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 it's going to be, you know, like a, a totally life-changing experience leaving home early and other things and stuff like that. But I think I would regret it if I didn't do it. So I did that. And, you know, that was a huge thing in my life. And then go doing something like, you know, pushing to go to FanDuel was and making that decision. That was life-changing for me. And then I had another life-changing experience, which was, you know, having the opportunity to get into to crypto and, and, you know, help do a lot of deals for, you know, what is now becoming a household name, you know, FTX, you know, for the crypto space. So, um, you know, I would just, I would, again, it's a, just beat a dead horse. It's like, try and listen for those opportunities. And, you know, when you get them, um, you know, pick up that phone, take that call because it, it, it can transform, uh, you know, your, you know, your life. And it, and it, it can, again, like somebody for me, and I think this is important for, for many, many people to know, I didn't have a very good background when I went to, you know, FanDuel. Um, but I had a skill set that was that, that that was that was useful to them, and that wound up being you know my that really keyed my trajectory in, in, you know in, in the sports industry. So like looking for those opportunities, thinking of those you know those things. How do I get a you know my foot in the door? How do I wedge my way in? You know that think think about those things that 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 is what will make the difference in, you know, in, in your career. It's those little details that, you know, we sometimes don't think about that, that, that have maximum impact, you know? So uh, good luck to everybody. on all those. Yeah. I think it's a good place to leave it. I mean, I, I totally agree, right. You have to take advantage of the, you know, yeah, it's always good to be lucky and people are lucky, but taking advantage of your luck, taking calculated risks, making sure you can take advantage of those opportunities. Obviously, um, as students of mine know, I started a company, you know, to take a calculated risk to do something you, that uh, you were talking about. So um, I understand that. And I think it's a good place to leave it. Like I said, we're definitely going to have to have you back because there's a bunch more we want to talk about, particularly um, your and what you were talking about in terms of sports betting, crypto, how that impacts sports marketing. So we'll definitely have you back soon, uh, particularly as those spaces continue to evolve. But Jeff, thank you very much for joining us. This is a really great, uh, really great conversation and glad you were able to be our guest on the Replacement Podcast. Yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks again, Adam.